protect the sheep, you got to catch the wolf. And it takes a wolf to catch a wolf. You understand? What? I said you protect the sheep by killing you. the motherfucking wolves. No, you didn't hear me. You listening, but you didn't hear me. Yeah, all right, whatever. Yeah, whatever. Whatever the fuck ever. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of the Grass and Gear podcast. I'm FN Grasshopper, and as ever, I'm joined by my talented co-host, Daniel Gear of Bolivia fame. Say hi, Dan. Hi, Tony. You doing all right, mate? Yeah, doing well. Yourself? Yeah, obviously FM20 is, you know, is here now. Obviously, um, probably one of the first to win a trophy in FM20 as well, out of all the bloggers. So, um, I like how you got that in after not winning nothing on FM19. Well, you know, did, did, you, did you expect any less? Then? Yeah, to be fair, I was just expecting minus one. <laughs> and you got a promotion <laughs> yesterday as well? I got promotion yesterday, yeah. So, so are we the, the successful podcast of FM World? I don't know. Let's see if you keep it up first. I don't want to start putting <laughs> statements like that out. <laughs> um, today's podcast is titled Training Day. Um, we're very fortunate today to have a football coach on the podcast, and that's Peter Prickett. Um, say hi, Peter. Hi, guys. Hi, everyone. Um, Peter, do you want to just give us a, a quick overview of what you're currently doing in the football world? Uh, and I suppose what, how you ended up turning on this podcast, I guess. Um, so at the moment, day-to-day I work with Brentford uh, Community Trust. And that's all sorts of different sessions, some school staff, development centre squads. Uh, I look after the futsal programme. Um, I also deliver uh, FA Level 1 futsal courses. Um, God, I could keep listing stuff. Um, <laughs> and written a couple of books about coaching. Yeah, and I'm sure we'll delve onto those topics and subjects as we move on through the podcast. Um Unusually, though, um, Dan and I, we, we're podcasting in the day. Normally, it's in the, in the depths of the night and darkness. But um, podcasting in the day today, Dan, I don't know if it's different surroundings for you, but it's a very bright room for me. Uh, <laughs> very bright. <laughs> and instead of sparking up alcohol, obviously, because we've got a football coach on, we couldn't really do that kind of um, alcohol-induced podcast. So I've got a um, Colombian coffee just um, with me now. What about you, Dan? I um, stopped at the shop and got a sugar-free Red Bull. Okay, so something so, to spark up, I guess. Something to spark up. I wanted to keep the um, tradition. Good man. Um, Peter, I don't know if we told you about this, the drink, drink opening at all, but um, do you have a drink? If so, what is it? I have uh, uh, the last portion of my Costa coffee. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, I, it's, Luke, not, it's, all, it's technically already open. Right, okay. Right then, we better start drinking that up then. So, Dan, <laughs> ask us the sole sparker today. Spark up when you're ready. Lovely. So today we're talking about training, we're talking about coaching um, and you know, linking that back into, into Football Manager and also Real World. So we, we just kind of got some alternating questions um, that Dan and I will be um, putting to Peter for his opinion and, and his insight. Um, so we do hope to cover topics of training, youth development uh, and also some tactics as we go. So I'm hoping it will be an enjoyable and informative listeners. listeners. Um, from the usual uh, debacle that Grass and Gear normally do. Um, <laughs> so if you're ready, Peter, if I just kick up with the opening question for you, uh, and this is to explore your background. Fire uh, away. I just want to ask you, um, can you tell us about yourself and how long you've been playing football manager? So a nice icebreaker. Um, since championship manager is probably the answer to how so long I've been 90s. playing football manager. Yeah. yeah, God knows what the first one I bought was, but uh, yeah. For a very long time. Uh, I did have a little bit of a break from the game. Um, and then I went back into it. 
because they see they sort of branched off as I recall uh, yeah, and yeah. I did go on to Football Manager and I remember that the sort of like the first edition of that was first of all ridiculously easy <laughs> and also you could sign anyone from anywhere so I, I remember I think I, I was Liverpool and I managed to sign Rooney it's like that's just not gonna <laughs> yeah. happen I think in, in FM 2005, I got Gabriel Batistuta for Exeter City, yeah. which was a bit of a coup. <laughs> uh, well, I wasn't expecting that to happen. Uh, yeah, I think much it's much harder nowadays to sign those kind of players and, and to break people off their contracts and get into like, a club rival like that, like, like a Rooney. I can't see that ever happening. I remember do, I did manage to get Ronaldo and Messi in the same team once. Legitimately. <laughs> wow, OK. Because yes. some, somehow or other something had happened and things had gone to hell in a handcart at Real Madrid and Ronaldo ended up at Arsenal well. so I picked him up from Arsenal so I had Messi on one side and Ronaldo on the other oh that's a dream isn't it <laughs> wow but yeah that was that, that that wasn't bad that wasn't bad would, would you say playing FM and Championship Manager sort of piqued your interest in being a coach no not, no, not really. Um, <laughs> my, I mean, my interest in being a coach probably was already there. Um, mm. And I suppose back in the early days, FM and Championship Manager allowed me to get some of my wanting to be a coach out for a different medium before I... I actually, think that's what it is for a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, I, I, I think if you, you just look on social media, you can see how many people have done that. But then it's, it's, it's always frustrated me, and it still does frustrate me, that I still feel a lot of the time that it's it's not about what you know about football. Yeah. It's about what you know works on a video game, which is, yeah, yeah. Which is fine, because it is a game. You um you you mean like actually like tactically on the pitch and stuff yeah, like that? Tactically. Yeah, tactically. The things that I would like to do, the game doesn't allow. The functions don't exist at times. Do you feel like if your knowledge of the match engine and the way the game play, played out was maybe better, you would be able to implement that a bit more? Or do you just feel there's a total restriction on implementing that? It's a bit of both because I've spoken to, to people who do have mm. good knowledge of how the match engine works and yeah. they've said to me there's things that I want to try that it, it can't fully replicate. Well, I, I suppose you kind of shoehorn players anyway into, into player roles yeah. um, as one example of that. You, you know, there's, there's pretty player roles that exist in currently. Just think of Sheffield United's back line. That is not in the game. Um, and I suppose also... Tactically, I think you, I think players can just break that match engine by overloading it with team instructions. So you mm. you see there's some insane tactics which everything's selected, which kind of almost contradict one another. Yeah, working <laughs> for the game. So yeah, I think you're bang on there. Really, it, it's it's not always it's a video game. We have to accept yeah. that sometimes. A genuine fluidity doesn't really work in terms of took take the centre backs. You don't really you can't get your centre backs to push forward in the way that you would like to and then have a midfielder slotting in or you can't get a winger making the runs inside and your striker then stepping out into the wide positions the game can't yeah, can't quite handle that stuff and it's it's a game with certain it's the best there is 
but you, you know it, it can't replicate everything and that's I suppose there's something for him to look at going forward I mean I, I, I agree with what you're saying like they're, um, let's say let's say um, they talk about Sheffield United like Tony said but their centre backs they push on in that they come inside in that um, and obviously you see other players dropping in the field gaps and that the game doesn't really allow the players to do that outside of their player role if they're set to some a certain role and it won't then fill in gaps and spaces it won't seem to leave his role to go on and do cover someone else if, if needs be no, I think it seemed like for a while rigid systems ultimately work better than the most fluid ones because it can't quite match the fluidity there's not the the players lack the intelligent decision making to genuinely be fluid and it's it's a game I mean that is a high level of sophistication that would be required in order to do that have you considered raising this on the forum I don't go on the forum (laughs) (laughs) that's not a place where I feel I really want to be (laughs) Um, Um, with regards to you being a football coach obviously you took took your um, qualifications everything after you started playing do you feel like after you became a coach it changed the way you played the game at all Um, it possibly increased my frustrations with the game (laughs) Um, you've had six six new laptops since you've become a coach (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yeah, um, I've never been brilliant at designing my own tactics because, as I said, the things that I want to try and do, it can't replicate. That's not to say I haven't come up with tactics that work, but I always know that basically someone else is going to come up with a tactic that is essentially close to being a game breaker or a number of mm. tactics that are close to being game breakers so I will mess around for a while come up with my own stuff see what works and sort of go yeah this is alright and then some there's a tactic and it's like yeah that's one I want to use yeah that's one I want to <laughs> use and then I end up settling into that and doing the rest of the stuff and actually I find that what I enjoy most from the game is not the tactical design it's playing around in the transfer market who can I bring in and managing the club so there was some rumours about a director of football role that you could take and I thought oh yeah that'd be good for me but it never really surfaced no I mean I mean there are ways that you can um, change the responsibilities yeah so that you could potentially be even though you're still the manager you could make it a director of football role if you left certain things to the um, assistant manager and um, he would be in control of the game and you could just instant result the games and stuff like that. Yeah, we can, but the well, the, the assistant managers generally just aren't good enough, are they? No. So no. you're just going to get sacked. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, do, I see what you mean. I think that um, there's been a lot of people request that over the years and I think they've always sort of said that that is his football manager. So, but I do think as director of football is becoming more of a thing, in, especially in the UK, it's on the mainland Europe, it's, all, it's been a thing for longer. I do expect the director of football to evolve a bit. It's certainly been a frustration of mine and a few other people over the past few years where we tried to 
replicate real life and implement more of a director of football style in the club where it where the like first team coach rather than a manager yeah. and the director of football takes over the contracts in their man- and transfers in that it's not a brilliant um well the current way that they got it it isn't brilliant um i know people have raised up um request to change that they've had conversations with sports interactive so hopefully going forward that might change i think they'd be daft not to Mm. i really i think so many people want it and it's not i don't think it's just because people are frustrated with what you can and can't do tactically i just think a lot of people you can see it when they when they're asking people oh what tactic works it's just because they want to win the games. They're not that interested yeah. in the tactical design. They want something that's going to be consistently good, at least, and not do really stupid things. Because there, well, that's what, like, there are still Tony some said earlier. To do stupid stuff. Like Tony said earlier, all like all the game breaking tactics. If it's got like every single team instruction selected, yeah, they all contradict each other. They're not actually a good tactic. It's just the game can't seem to handle. That that tactic because it um it doesn't register why you've selected them all. I yeah. think um, it, yeah I, th- I think that's probably one of the reasons why downloadable tactics are so popular, um, because there's still a demand for it. And I don't know about you, Dan. I find as as a as a blogger, we tend to use generally against the FM population less team instructions and other. Yeah. And I find someone when someone comes to me and says, "Oh, what's your tactic?" and I say, and then if they've made a comment about like minimal team instructions, um. And you just have to accept that, yeah, sometimes you're going to come up against a tactical style that is either better or better players and you lose. And I think some people don't like that. They want the tactic that literally will win every game. <laughs> well, it's not realistic. I had a DM on Twitter the other day from somebody asking for help on their tactic. And the first thing I said is, you've got too many team instructions and they all contradict each other. I'm just looking at the screenshot now. We've got 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. The one we came up with the end that he had that he was happy with it's got five yeah so straight away he's gone from 12 to five yeah and he, he said the um the results were better that it's not not even that it's like a game breaking thing he was still losing games but he said that what he wanted to do seemed more implemented in the team the in the match engine and um i do feel like people don't understand what the team instructions do and um, James FM Pressure raised a good point on Slack the other day it almost makes you seem like you have to select one of like the options you don't have to you could just like he said about counter and regroup you don't have to select either of them you can leave them unselected mm. and it would it would still do it, it wouldn't stop your tactic from working it was still it's a medium range of the two uh, but the way that it is um, in the game in the like user interface makes it seem like you have to select one. Yeah, it's and almost I think like that's you need why a, a lot option. of people yeah. yeah. I think a lot of people feel like oh, I gotta select one of them. That's why they end up with twelve. When you actually don't have to select one on everything. I mean my tactics got four on. You know, so it's it's more about I'd, what people like Peter was saying, people about um people understanding it. And then I think some people don't and they just download and they I mean I haven't da- downloaded a tactics for I say probably ten years. But I I got like learn on people like Cleon for example for his knowledge. I've read around things James for his knowledge, and um, sort of built up my own knowledge of how I think the game works now. And um, I'm happier building my own. I I I get more satisfaction out of the game that my own tactic works. 
and I understand for some people that like you know it's easier just to download it because you you want to play to win get your team up the links and all that yeah I noticed you didn't mention me there then as well but um, it's fine Uh, well (laughs) sorry when when you offer some knowledge (laughs) you might wait a while Um, okay so moving on to perhaps to training and development Um, do you feel that training is more reflective of real life coaching not really Um, again I've, I've I've sat in and had a look at it and it it depends who's doing the coaching. Hmm. I think that's the thing. I know they got in an expert to help guide them, but all they that expert did was guide them in the way that they work, not in mm-hmm. the way that other people work. So some of it is is fine. Um like the way it, the way it breaks topics apart so it separates attacking and defending right I'm going to call bullshit on that because you know there are a huge number of coaches now who will go we can't you can't separate attacking and defending if you're working if you're working on defend on a defending topic there has to be some attacking going on and if what's happening in terms of the attacking is not effective then what are they defending against so do you think mm. that's because um si only went to talk to well one coach let's say and yes. that coach did that that style and then that that was basically given as the law of coaching yes absolutely interesting interesting absolutely so what you've got is one person's way of working and i'm not saying uh, of course i'm gonna put a little caveat on that of course that doesn't mean that there won't be times when coaches do go really focus heavily on defending. But because you're doing defending work, you have to do some sort of attacking work. You have to do some form of transition work at the same time. So, so you think you'll get you think whereas um, the units are too focused on one area. I think so. R- rather than being like um because at the moment you can choose um attacking transition um Whereas you think that it should be more um, open in that, so rather than just having a tra- attacking transition, it's also about defensive in there as well, and, and something else is just too. You're trying to trying to put too, they're trying to condense what it is into one thing rather than having it more open. So if I was doing an assessment on someone delivering a counter-attacking topic for their one of their coaching badges, mm-hmm. and they didn't start with the team that they're not working on the attacking phase with having to win the ball back I would question yeah. that so for transition the team who you're looking to get on the attack needs to start with some sort of defensive aspect otherwise it's not transition or counter attacking it's just fast attacking yeah, which is fine, but it's it's not really right. I mean, there's there's one that I do where uh, quite a lot where I try and get the play to start from the goalkeeper, so I will mm. fire a ball into the goalkeeper, and the team that I'm trying to get to be disorganised will follow that ball in, and so the goalkeeper is delivering it, and they're trying to take advantage of the fact that they the other team are outnumbered, but I'm still starting with the ball with the goalkeeper. 
So there's where they just they've just received the ball. Yeah, that makes sense. So well, to separate it too much can yeah. cause. I, I think it's not particularly realistic. It's definitely something because it probably, hopefully, will improve on going forward. Because you think it was only implemented last year, they would have had some feedback. Hopefully, they'll get some more coaches in going forward and get different um, opinions and maybe expand on it a of bit course, more. Of course, there's things like the mentoring, mm. where apparently, this is what I've been told from talking to other people who have played FM and written extensively that the mentoring was changed because the person they got in said, no, you wouldn't get a, a senior player working with a, a youth player like that. Mm. Talk to Paul McGuinness about it and he will tell yeah. you that that's what they do at United. Yeah. That when they mix, they mix the age groups in and they will have senior pros, or they used to, I can't say they still do, but they used to have senior pros working with some of the younger players coming through. They talk about, well, classically, they talk about Cantona working with yeah. with Skulls, Beckham and co, staying late they, to do extra work. And stuff like that does still happen. Well, yeah, they do. Um, um, I'm, I'm a United fan and um, I follow them quite closely. They, it, From what I see on MUTV, they seem to rotate a group of youngsters at the moment. You obviously have, you've obviously got your greenwoods in that there now in the first team, but there be every training session from say a week, they seem to have four or five youngsters from like the under seventeens, under eighteens that go in with the first team for a week and do a bit of training with them. Then they drop back down and another five come up for the next week and they seem to rotate them in. So they are still working with them. <coughs> uh it's I know it's not so much uh from what you can see on the TV, obviously, because I'm not going there and watching it, but you, it's not so much the senior players going down, but um, they're, they're moving the youngsters up and rotating them in their senior training so they get used to how it is at senior training yeah. and then go back down to the youth team. Um, what The rotation, I assume the idea is they see how they work in the senior team and then take that back to the youth team. Yeah, it's just picking up habits and mm. tips and things that they do and all that sort of thing because the way that yeah. sometimes the way that learning works is not just through this um, action it's through yeah. watching mm-hmm. so you watch a way that a player who plays in your position operates and you will start to get those habits will form in your brain and you may consciously enact them but then you may subconsciously enact them so for them to say no, they, the, the mentoring doesn't work like that. Well, okay, you can choose for it not to work like that. Of course you can, but also yeah. it might be one to one. It might be that a player, a senior player, works with two or three junior players, or it might be that you know your midfield unit work has time with the younger players' midfield unit. I think. I mean, Tony might be able to correct me, but I think they did put a new feature in this year where you can select players from the under 23s and 19s to join the first team mentoring groups. Well, that's more like... I, haven't, I have to admit, I haven't... Um, I, haven't I don't think yet. I've done that, but possibly. I'm not in-game at the moment to check that. Right, I haven't yet got into 20 properly because I know that there's still fid- they're fiddling around with it. 
On 19, you definitely couldn't. I'm still playing 19 at the moment. Yeah, I think it, I'm sure there's a new feature, um, which I come across on the beta, whereas you could highlight some people in the youth team and move them to the first team just for mentoring. I'll have to check it. I might have made that up. Okay, I'm loading the, ge- loading the game, the game now. now. Yeah, as a pop-up came up. <laughs> <laughs> well, while, while Tony's checking that, i got another question for you, Peter. Um, on your, I see on your Twitter account, every now and again, you do what seems to be small bits of pre- and post-training classroom work. In regards to FM, do you think they don't focus on the intelligence side of the game enough in training and that? Well, I know that you can select team meetings and, and things yeah. like that, but... I know it's quite limited what they do on there. Um, it, I don't, I don't know how significant it would be if you added it into the game. Yeah. It might just be something that it's nice to have, and suddenly maybe there might be little improvements in your team's connectivity with each other. Um, how important it is, I don't know, because there's lots of things that teams do that aren't included. Like, for example. We know that, I don't know if they still do it, but Bournemouth used to play futsal once a week, first team. Mm, yeah. That's not going to be on the game. No. Uh, no I know you said, Dan, about um, the intelligence side. I know. I don't know if you've been using it. There's a new match preparation where uh, you do match reviews. I don't know if you've been using that at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I do a match preview before the game and then a match review afterwards, review after. which is kind of like the... In, the classroom I imagine it to be the classroom kind of setting where you go through before and after what happened what didn't work what worked well uh, and what actually happens in it um, so let's have a look so the review um, it boosts so your tactical familiarity so your mentality and all the things that go into that passing creative freedom pressing marking tempo width position duty and also your team cohesion is increased so effectively you speed up how quickly your team learns your tactic? Yep, correct. Yeah. Um. Okay, it's it's nice, and rewards people who are willing to click the button. Um, how big an impact that has, I don't know, because I would assume that eventually your team will learn your tactic anyway, whether you do that or not. Yeah. Yeah, no. Yeah. Over time, it will be it be solved by just playing games. Generally. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Dan, just on on the subject of the getting in the under under nineteens into the senior mentoring group, how did you think yeah. that was possible? Was it right clicking on the squad window? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a game, so I didn't know, but um, I'm I'm sure it was either in the mentoring bit on the drop down you could add them, <coughs> like add or uh, like you know, there's a drop down where you can add things, add players. There was a uh, um two units. I thought there was another one that was like add youth players. Uh, add players. So at the moment, I can add players currently in my first team, unless. Uh, doesn't seem to be. No. I might have made it up, but I thought I saw it. I'm sure I, I'm sure I said about it to Samo on Slack, and he was like, "Yeah, I saw that as well." But I might be making it up. Yeah. But we will. We'll have a I play around. I will tweet on Twitter if I find it out. Yeah. Again. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, it, grass and gear in the know here. Obviously. <laughs> um, so I've just got a question for Peter, um, and this is about specifically about how he tailors training. So, how do you tra- tailor training? Um, do you implement real-world thought experiences? Obviously, we've kind of come to the conclusion really that the training at the moment isn't reflective of how you currently go about it. Um, so, while we were talking earlier about obviously they went down that 
spoke to one coach where they they formed the attacking and defensive units. I wonder whether in the future FM could perhaps bring about different training styles. So you could have a training style which is a traditional two unit system, um, or whether and whether or not you could have some more. So you could have more like possession or more scenario based sessions and do it that way. I don't know what Peter feels about that. I think it would be an interesting idea because I think there are coaches who work in different ways. So there are coaches who will look to do lots of blocked practice, wherein it's, it is heavily focused. So if you took Roy Hodgson, for example, his sessions will be very regimented and quite drilled, as would, say, Tony Pulis's, where they would work in that manner on this specific thing, heavily focused. Yeah. But there are other coaches, so let's take Pepin Linders has been saying a lot about Liverpool recently. So he says that intensity and counter-pressing underpin every practice that they do. In order for that to happen, there has to be an element of transition and there has to be an element of gameplay a lot. So they need to play more small-sided games and game-like situations in order for their beat to be counter-pressing all the time. So uh, with different philosophies, you will find different scenarios or different mm. styles of session. So that might need to be reflected rather than it just saying possession. Well, possession in what manner? So it's a bit, it might be too deep for the game. It might be beyond people's tastes. It might be something the game can almost do automatically for you. And then you could play around with it later. Uh, but then I'll ask, I'm just going to ask a question for you guys. Do you find that changing what you do in session or in training really works? I would say on FM19 when it first came out I wouldn't say I struggled to get the grips with it but I could never got settled with it but on um, FM20 I really um, focused on it and um, spoke to people who had a better knowledge of it and other people who've had ideas and they felt like they did well on FM19 and what I've done is I've um, created two schedules depending if I have one game a week or two mm-hmm. And I built the training around my tactic, so the style of play that I'm trying to play, um, and what I, they would need to learn to do for my tactic to work. And I feel like it has made my results be better because the players are learning how to play the tactic through the training. So, um, like, what my tactic is um, counter-attacking low blocks. So I'm trying to focus on that in training. And I feel like that has been replicated by my, what I would call, success with the, t- the team I've chosen. So I do feel like it is benefited, but I don't I don't know, have no comparison of playing it without the, doing the training. Yeah, that's exactly To say, would it have made any difference? Is it just my tactic works and, and well? And that's, that's the thing that I always wonder. It's like, okay, so what happens if I don't do this stuff? It's like, yeah. well, maybe I need to do two saves to try and compare <laughs> but can I be bothered to run two saves no the thing is, is, is with me there's, there's lots going on 
under the hood of, of FM that you just you just don't know what is work, like working. But for instance, in in my first season in FM Twenty, I, I had a cup final quite early on, like bang on bang in the middle of pre-season. So I wanted to get my tactical familiarity up, um, and I really hammered that tactical style, putting in sessions that would boost it, and I got it up to a good level within forty days, which normally takes about probably two months really, mm-hmm. or a month month and a month mm-hmm. and a half. Um, and I've noticed that. I've also noticed things like really heavy, intense fitness sessions in the um, in the preseason. So like um, what like um, Atletico Madrid do, where they really they've got that Uruguayan guy there that just literally just runs them into the ground for like a month, um, and you, you don't really suffer from jadedness then halfway through the season. And I've, I've noticed that has worked. And another thing I've noticed as well is that at the moment in my save, because I'm playing in Uruguay, I have uh, obviously the continental competition. Um, uh, overlapping with the, the usual quite like, sort of kind of small scale calendar but very intense sessions you get a few a few games every f- two or three days there's no time to train really Did yeah. you, you just, there's no point really because you're either travelling or you're resting up or you're going again for the next game so I've done sessions that aren't really pushing the fitness side of it I've just done stuff like the set pieces so hmm. we, we've, we're a bit fragile we don't have very strong strong or tall guys at the back so we We've really worked hard on like defensive um, free kick training, uh, and also in attack wise, our delivery of those and attacking free kick. So the sessions mid season are really towards pacing the next two or three games, I'd say, um, because I've done all the fitness further on in uh, earlier on in the season. So it's one of those things you don't know if it is how much of an impact it is doing on, on your on your uh, season, but I like to think it is helping. <laughs> I would say that um, Tony's in a chat with me and some other people. And um, one person who's in there, remain unnamed, was complaining about one-on-ones. And it was raised to him that is he training one-on-ones or in training if that's such an issue? And he wasn't. So he started training on one-on-ones and then he came back with the feedback that he started scoring the one-on-ones now. Yeah, that's that's, that's basically chance creation is a session and you mm-hmm. get chance um, conversion. Yeah, yeah, and there's um, one-on-ones which is for the goalkeepers. It's like I think a lot of people don't know about that one because it's under goalkeepers. Yeah. Is what um sort of what Peter was talking about earlier that it's not really <laughs> set up set up for the right thing, but it's um if you go on goalkeepers, there is a session that's called one on ones, which looks like that is focused on the goalkeepers, but also there is an attacking unit on there, so people are yeah. So for in order for the goalkeepers to improve their one v one saving, then your strikers the, have to practice their one v one finishing. Yeah. Because if you if you've got your goalkeepers doing 1v1s against the other goalkeepers they're not against the optimum player for it to be against so is their training actually being effective no they've got to have to train with the best striker at the club for it to work so actually your Mm. best striker is going to be getting better at their finishing whilst your goalkeeper is going to be better at their reading of a forwards movement and type of finish and I think that's why um, I've seen a lot of people post that on Twitter that one on ones in that, and it has showed. Obviously, it's a small sample, but with this one person, that by focusing on one on ones, his um, team is now converting the one on ones because they're getting more practice. And I like to think that his goalkeeper is saving the one on ones because yeah. of the, the practice. But um, so I, I, in the small sample size there, um, the trainer is influencing his. I was going to say, Dan, it's just, it, it just shows you how common sense sometimes football manager is. You don't really have to think yeah. too much about it because if, if that player is only is getting, let's say, let's say he's getting three one-on-one chances a game and he's missing them all, but then he doesn't train it 
for the next game. He's going to come around to the next game. He's going to get another three. He's not trained at all in that time. Whereas if you put the sessions in in, in the midweek, he's going to have what like you know let's say twenty thirty practices at that one on one. You'd you'd hope that he would be better for the next game. Yeah, but then like I, I also raised this person is um there's also needs to be a bit um tempering of expectations because like we're getting three one on ones. You're not going to score three. No, hardly any striker scores all three. So even if it's um, the shots are being saved, it's, you've also got to give allowance for the goalkeeper's ability as well. Yeah. But obviously, like I said, in this small sample size, by training one-on-ones, his striker started scoring a few more one-on-ones. Should that be a team practice or should that be an individual group practice? Or not an individual group. Could be a group. Could be your strikers are all working on it and, everyone, and yeah. others are working on something else. But could it be you set all your forwards one-on-ones? We're working on one-on-one. Strikers, every single one of them. Strikers, we're not getting on the end of crosses. I need you to improve getting on the end of crosses. Yeah. So I think, um, obviously, it, it depends how deep they want to take it back. Do they want to do the transition to the, the one-on-ones? Or are they just like literally rolling the balls to the strikers to run on, do one-on-one with the goalkeeper? I think you should be able to, thinking about what you've been saying, I think you should be able to add two or three of the training plans into one, mm. yeah. So you could have you could have chance creation, um, chance conversion, and a goalkeeping one all in together, and be like that's those three go in that box, and that's what we're working on. We're working on the whole lot. Like in there, you'd have a defensive one, so defensive trying to stop crosses coming in. Yeah. You know, aerial defense, it's that sort of thing. So you wouldn't just focus on one. I know, I know. In the individual training sessions in the moment. They obviously do have the different units there and they, they train it. But maybe for understanding of people, they could add maybe the option to have three different types. So it's laid out a bit better so that if you want aerial, defence and crossing and chance conversion all to be worked on, you can add it into like a multi-box and then it would be more aware to the player that that is what they the, the, is coming out of the team. It's a good shout because you, you get chance conversion as a unit training, mm-hmm. but... Really, yeah. you might want the chance conversion to be how you convert those attacking wing plays, and not worry about other other conversion opportunities. So you need, you you need chance game. creation as well as chance conversion. It's it's a natural idea. Yeah, so yeah. I, I put them in in the same week, generally next to one another. I like to think you do one after the other. <laughs> I, I like to think you do them both at the same time. Really, yeah, if, you would. If yeah, I you was would. if yeah. I was running a session, they would happen at the same time. Yeah. So it would they would happen one after the other within a single session yeah that's what I mean so maybe if we had the option to add more than one into a single session which meant makes sense to what it was yeah so like like Peter said you'd have them in the same session so you'd have chance creation and conversion in the same one yeah so we know we know that the majority of goals are scored not surprisingly somewhere between the six yard box and the penalty spot yeah, and the width of the six-yard box to slightly outside. Also, they are normally scored within one and two touches, and also they are mostly into the bottom corners. Statistically, that's where most how and where most goals are scored. Most goals mm. are created from what we would describe as the half spaces, if we're being hipsters. Um, <laughs> zone 13 was it where it is? Zone 14, <laughs> 14. Zone 14 is right in the middle of the box. 
so the right. so the uh, the half spaces are slightly outside of that. Um, they used to be called the inside right and inside left channels. So extend that all the way up to the box, to the line. So that's where most chances are created from, either with a forward pass to a player running onto it, or from a wide player arriving in those areas and cutting the ball across. Now, I don't know. I've tried to get teams to focus on that's where we get players to appear but it's very hard within the confines of what the game does to do that well, so I'm actually going to pick your brain here Peter um, I was having this conversation with someone the other day because they were complaining about crosses in game and um, the the player taking the ball too deep and passing it back I raised the point that maybe it's crossing going out of the game a bit when we get, we're not the crosses these days. Like we, when we think of crosses, we think like David Beckham whipping a ball in. Would you say these days that that is going out of the game a bit and it's becoming more inside crosses or pass backs into? So we, I um, think we are looking more at cutbacks, yeah, and balls played square for the easy finish at the second post or the far post. Yeah, so you get those one touch finishes. Look at how many goals. Raheem Sterling scores in that way and mm. that is the way Guardiola wants his team to score their goals is by mm. working it into the box and for the ball to be played across for that one touch finish saying that have a look at Liverpool have a look at Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson yeah. and where they're delivering from I, I, a few years ago I went to what's now called, what used to be called the Milk Cup Northern Ireland it's now the Super Cup um, and I watched Southampton, I watched Liverpool, I watched teams from across Europe and from South America as well. And one of the things I noticed when the English academy teams were playing, they couldn't deal with crosses. So when the balls were being put in the box, they struggled. And part of the reason for that is the way that most academy teams play, which is to play that possession-based game, stroking the ball around. When the balls were starting to get whipped into the area, they were struggling. I think we're going to see more variety come back into the game, and I think we will see more crosses because teams can't defend them. Yeah. Or not defend them as well as they used to be able to. I think it's part. that's part of the reason why Van Dijk and Maguire were quite as expensive as they were. Yeah. Because they they can deal with it and others can't. Yeah. Well, uh, I mean, like that, that's the interesting thing, though. I think um, I think as I try and replicate real life more, as much as they can. So it's like um, people were complaining about the match engine about a lot of players going into crossing positions and rather than cross, they pass it back. Which I would say currently, I mean, I, I know you said Liverpool were crossing in, but a majority of the teams <coughs> I would say in the Premier League, for example, which I was saying is the main focus what SI would replicate on. I might be wrong, but they um, the crosses are not such a thing that there are a lot more pass-backs, like you say, with Man City and stuff like that. Well, how and how many teams have got forward to a dominant in the air? Well, none really. <laughs> yeah, hardly any. I mean, like, you, you think like... But it only takes a Haaland to come in to change all that, when you, whenever he gets signed. Potentially, potentially, yeah. yeah. Um, 
And you don't have to necessarily be dominant in the air if the delivery is good enough. You just have to be decent in the air. I mean, who yeah, would yeah. who would pick Mane and Firmino as being aerially dominant? They're not. No. They're just half decent in the air and got a bit of spring. And the quality of the ball is good enough. Well, that's it. And then you think you think of all the little strikers over the years, like Michael Owen, for example. You wouldn't say he would be dominant in the air, but how many headers did he score just by having that first bit of pace to get away and just flip the ball on? It was that ability to find the space. So yeah. that um, off the ball attribute is I I don't know how the again the under the hood settings work, but that off the ball attribute has should have a, a serious effect on how many headers a player actually wins. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, we don't know how it works under the hood, but you'd like to think it would, wouldn't you? It's an attacking attribute for a striker, so you'd like to think it makes an effort, uh, an impact on on that. Uh, I think a lot of people just look at jumping reach and heading, uh, really, as, as as a precursor of where, where they should play a target man or a, a more robust striker. But I suppose yeah, off the ball is you know where, that's where he's starting position to jump from, isn't it? Which is critical to if he's going to win it or well, he's going to get on target. It's also whether they get like Giroud getting across the front of players, or yeah. whether they are getting in between the centre backs, or whether they're actually as a centre forward able to pull out onto the full back rather than just going up against Van Dijk. Yeah. Or you remember uh, Lukaku bullying um, Liverpool a couple of seasons ago and what he did was he got away from Van Dyke and put himself on I think it was Lovren and, yeah, and he, just, yeah, he, did, and he yeah. just bullied him and that that's to do with his off the ball and his intelligence mm. as much as it is to do with his aerial ability if he would just stayed on Van Dyke, it probably would have been a bit more 50-50 but it wasn't he went on to Lovren and it was 70-30 does the game reflect that? I don't think it does no. well I mean that's definitely something they could build on but um, you're talking about going um, and watching the youth teams and that. What is your approach on youth development in FM? Do you, is there a philosophy you try to implement in them? I generally try and rely on sending the players on loan. That's norm. Do you, that's normally what do you, I rely on. Um, do, I, do you feel it works? I've tried all sorts of things with the training, um, in mainly get the best coaches possible um, and had little success with just keeping him in the club depending on the young player sometimes it does work but I've found having them around for a little while and then sending them to play first team football has been more successful so rather than specific regimes it's more been about getting them to play in the first team I think I think yeah. I think Sports and Track has, has realised that, and they obviously you're not playing FM20, Peter, but they've launched basically a, a development centre where it kind yeah. of, it's not it's not really like new information, but it just kind of collates it all about when a player should go on loan, um, wh- you know, what they need for their development, and predominantly is is you know pushing that player on loan. I think they've introduced a loan manager, haven't they, Dan, as a staff role? Yeah, and I think they're really trying to get p- people to to actually take that on board because that is probably what happens in real life you, you put those players that need game time out on loan because you don't really want to jeopardise your first team or you can overload yourself with players um, so norm- I think they're channeling people to do, I do. that that's, <laughs> I, I don't know if any of you if either of you ever seen when I post my when I what I've signed and it's normally a massive list full of young players and then wow. they, they, <laughs> yeah, yeah. they all go out on loan 
and develop. Yeah. Um, that's that seems to be what what works. Um, I've not yeah. I've not seen many that that are just sat in my under 18s and under 21s or under 23s and suddenly they're good enough to play first team. It <coughs> doesn't seem to happen. So it's very rare, I isn't think, it? Yeah. I think I, I seem the to golden. just have up one or two players that can do that, that can go straight from reserve or under 19s reserves into first team, but generally you need to loan them out to get te- to test the waters, really. Yeah, I, I see the, the golden rule for, for what seems to be from SI is under 18, training is the best focus for them. Obviously, if you can loan them out to a um, club with a equivalent or slightly less training facility quality than you, and they're getting first team football, that could be beneficial. Yeah. But first team football doesn't really influence them as much a percentage until they're eighteen plus. So before seventeen, uh, before eighteen, sorry, it is the training they're receiving, the quality of training, and the type of training. So uh, once they hit the eighteen, they need football then. So if they're not going to play in your f- first team then they need to be playing out on loan at a quality above your under-23, under-19 league. Well, that's, so that's good. That's kind of what I try and do. I don't know if you mm. noticed, Danny, actually, in the NFL. I don't know if this is a new feature or not, but um, when you add someone to the development list, so say you've got like an 18-year-old that now needs football, when you put him on the development list, you've got a, an option to set kind of what the parameters you think he should be offered to. So you could say you, you want training facilities to be adequate or average. Yeah, or you want a feature a, this year. Is it? Okay, so you, yeah. or you want a specific league. And I I found it really handy because obviously I want players to be offered to the right league, the right level for their development. So instead of like just saying, oh yeah, I want them to go conference, let's say, if you if you really need them to be like, you know, league one or above, you can you can now tailor it so he only gets offered to those clubs, okay. which I think that, is that norm, ideal. That normally bugs, has always bugged me. Yeah. So same. I'm, I'm offering them out to, to clubs and all I get is league two, they won't play. They don't want them for first team football, and their training facilities are rubbish. And I'm thinking, well, they can just stay here. Yeah, mm. uh, it's, all, it's it's a fine line, really. Like, there's no point in them going to a, a less a much lesser club and playing ro- rotational football. You know, it's like it's one of those things. I, I had um, I got a striker. This looks like he's going to be pretty decent, but I play with a lo- lone striker formation. And he's not as good as anywhere near as good as the, the three I've got. So I offered him out on loan, and lead two team came in as uh, a rotational squad player, and a conference team came in as a first teamer. So I I weighed it up, and there wasn't a lot of difference in the training facilities. So I sent him to the conference where he's going to play ninety minutes each week, and have a slightly lesser training facility than having a better facilities, and just sit on the bench and come off the bench because he could do that for me. So I, I chose, because he was 18, I chose game time at a one league le- below her than potentially game time at a slightly higher league. And when I looked at the difference in quality of the league, there wasn't a massive difference on the, I went on like the list of um, leagues in ranking. Yeah. There wasn't a ma- massive difference which I would equate to Warrior. And he's gone there, he's played 18 games and scored 16 goals. And he's gone back with an um, average rating of 7.01 or something. Oh, sorry, 7.03, I think it was. But um, So I was happy with that. And it's sort of weighing this thing up. You don't just... I think some people just look at, oh, lead to football. Yeah, yeah, that'd be better. But you sort of have to weigh up all the points to try and get the best development out of them. I mean, of course, the thing that really makes a difference to how good the player is is what experiences they have between the ages of 8 and 16 but you know we're not going to get that out of the game 
No. Yeah, that's kind of all done as the... Or is it youth recruitment or the level of... Yeah, it's, into it's, your... it's just like this. they have a magic wand whereby the better your <laughs> level of recruitment is, suddenly the better the players coming through is. It's enough, And it's nothing to do with what sort of training and coaching facilities you have, which is all... You know, that that's an interesting one because they started putting in the academy what level they are in, in EPPP, whether they're Cat 1, Cat 2... Uh, which also should have an impact. But again, that's something that I've never seen have a real impact on the game. No, I think the only development there is that we, we can, you kind of get like a preview of what's coming into your team. So you kind of, you know kind of like about, what, nine months earlier now before they come in as 16-year-olds as to who is coming and where they're from kind of thing and how good they might be. But, you know, if you take a big club like Arsenal, for instance, they, they, they know all their nine-year-olds on the books uh, how good they are, what what their hopefully their reach will be in terms of potential as well. Um, we don't really get that in FM. No, uh, and there's, I mean, there's very good reasons for not having the names of nine-year-old children in the game. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and we get and we totally get that. But I don't know. I kind of think that you should be able to make greater investment and have a greater impact on what comes through. And I think. I suppose over time, if you're at a club long enough and you've <coughs> basically got your youth recruitment up to the maximum level and your director of, not your director of football, your head of youth development is exceptional, you will start to get more of these four and five star potential players coming through. Yeah. But then also, you've got to remember, the stars are reflective of the first team. Yes. So when when you're say if you're Liverpool for example, and you get a player that comes through with three star potential, he's still potentially going to be quite a good. Yeah, I, I find that really good. interesting because why I'm not I know it's a system that's existed for ages, and it is compared to your first team, but why shouldn't it be compared to global? I I, I personally think that um, the way I would do it is the because they got their under eighteen training benefit and then over 18 they should have uh, the rating should be reflective of the youth of that league so when they're under 18 they should have stars to be like right five star because he's going to be a really good in comparison to the age level of the other Premier League players yeah in under 20 and when they but you should still be able to see what their future one but they should have a star rating which equates their youth development so alright you might be a three star potential for a Premier League footballer but of that generation has just come through, he's actually a five-star potential because he's the best of that generation, which a three-star Premier League footballer is still going to be a, a decent player. You know what I mean? It's like we, we use Liverpool example. Their five-stars are probably Salah Mane. Mm-hmm. But if he comes through and he's as good as, like, um, I don't know, Jordan Henderson, for example, most people would be happy with that. Yeah, I, I, I so, agree. And that's not really reflective. A lot of people see, oh, no, I got a shit intake this year. Got a load of three stars. But they're Man City. Well, let's be honest, if you had 10 three star potential players come through for Man City, they're still going to be good. Even if you sell them on, they go and play for Watford. Yeah. Mm. St- but a lot of people just are, oh, I release all them, they're shit. Or I you, don't or think you, people understand. Yeah, I was going to say, or you get teams that kind of go out the promote, like a player will play a firm and go up the leagues, like two or three leagues quite quickly, yeah. and then overhaul their, their actual current first team squad. And then, wor- then worry about the youngsters now not being as good. Um, yeah, I, I, I can see there being room for, for free ratings, 
which would they, which they should, would, I I personally think they should have a rating against other youth yep. of that league, and then you have your um, potential ability and your current ability. Well, I so I'm when thinking they, when they get to eighteen, that that youth ability goes because they're over eighteen now and they become like current ability. But at beneath eighteen, whether they could fill it, obviously I don't know how easy it would be to implement in the game. But um, they should have a rate in the ranking. So, like, say I'm Bolton. Last season I was in League One. So they should have a rate in, right, player come through. He looks pretty good. He's five-star in compared to all the other League One youth that comes through this year. Yeah, I'm thinking you can add one on the end, which is basically their potential to be world-class. Mm. So what sort of... Where would they be? So if it's five-star there... They've got a five-star chance of being world-class talent. Yeah. Or three-star there. They're not going to be world, a world-class player, but they're going to be potentially an international footballer. And then you go, okay, yeah, I definitely want to keep that player. And that's realistic to me, in, to my head, rather than saying, oh, he's three-star. Three-star, well, okay, compared to my first team. My first team is full of international players. Actually, that means he's probably going to be an international footballer. Five-star, this kid could be the greatest thing since Messi yeah. the next Dangier maybe yeah well I don't know that only one in a generation mate <laughs> <laughs> um, so if we move on actually just got a few kind of quick fire questions really for, for Peter um, I don't know if, you, if you've got a favourite trainable attribute um, but what is it you like to work on in terms of developing youth have you got have you got like an attribute that you mind that you think that's you know I really want to play with a first touch or are the, a vision are these the, oh you don't mean the traits you mean an actual attribute. no sorry the actual attributes I, I, yeah. I've always looked at the one that for me is always technique yeah so I, I try and look at how good a player is technically I, I've spoken to other people who prefer to look at the mental side yeah which is I find really interesting uh, I go down the technical route and that's yeah. probably reflective of, of me as a coach as well um, although I would that probably be start reflective? moving the other way would that be reflective of the style of play that you try to implement as well when you do your yeah, own tactics yeah definitely definitely mm-hmm. I try. I would go possession based ahead of everything mm-hmm. but I don't I've said to other people I don't want too much possession because if I've yeah. got too much possession I'm never going to be able to counter attack and I think that's well, that's it there's a fine line in yeah. there between just keeping keeping the ball for the sake of it and um, just then actually making use of that. Yeah, exactly. I try and aim for somewhere between 50 and 60. Well, what I would say is, um, I don't know if you know, but possession in FM is um, calculated a bit different. Is um, the percentage of time of the ball in the 90 minutes rather than the amount they have the ball. Yeah. So if it's like 60% possession, if you've had it 60% of the time of the, of the game's played, Rather than the amount that you've had the ball, in, you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah. So it, it is um, calculated a bit differently. So it's not always. You see people come back and say, "Oh, I've had 75 percent possession," but it's not really. They might not have actually been playing much of a possession game. They've just had the ball a lot, even if <laughs> they could have actually had the ball a lot on their own half. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. We'll try and have possession, but not just have it passing it around the back. Yeah. For- 20 minutes I'm going to skip the next question Tony because he said FM20 and Peter and got that yeah I know well, a bit of an oversight from me sorry <laughs> bit of an oversight from me not buying the game yet I suppose yeah well hopefully this podcast makes you want to buy it I don't know we're not on commission honest we'll see should, should have ended our competition <laughs> yeah true 
Hindsight um, is a wonderful thing. Yeah, so should, <laughs> I suppose just we just got another two more questions. Um, so it's on to tactics, really. Um, and I, we've kind of touched on it earlier, but um, do you use presets tactical styles? So obviously that was something featured for last year, the current version you're playing, um, where you can select basically a preset tactical style and just run with that. I did um, use it as a base and then yep. took it on from there. So yeah. I, the best one that I came up with was, um, or one I enjoyed the most was with RB Leipzig, and I I I like free at the back. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but I hated it on FM because it seemed impossible to cover the far post whenever a ball yeah. came in. Just, but I got I managed to get one that that worked with Leipzig and we could counter press. So that that worked quite nicely. That was built off of. I think I, I maybe counterintuitively used the horizontal tiki tacker yeah. to yeah. help build that tactic and then took it from there. But yeah, we won, won the ball back a lot, high up, scored goals on the break, um, had, a, had that 50-odd percent possession most of the time. Um, and that, that worked pretty well. I quite, I quite enjoyed that one. But then... I've, a few game breakers came out I'm like yeah I'll get, bring, bring them on <laughs> do. bring them on <laughs> none of them are strikerless are they? no I don't like strikerless um, oh. if, ask if you ever speak to Cleon he will tell you that I like to buy a million strikers that's it then <laughs> I have strikers yeah. I'm never doing a strikerless if, uh, as many as possible if uh, I, I, the choir, I don't want I don't want <laughs> Three up top with two wide players. I want three strikers if possible. <laughs> yeah, I think we will strike. Obviously, we we know it's overpowered. Uh, the the match engine can't really cope with it. And generally, when you look around Europe now, how many teams are actually playing strikerless? Not very few. Not many. I don't, I don't use it just because I like strikers. Yeah, yeah. yeah I like I a big number nine. Do. It's all good. Always good. I, I want goal. I want goal scorers. I don't want goals from midfield. I want forwards who are scoring goals in my teams. Um, so yeah, no strikerless for them. Well, you say you like strikers. So, what's your favourite player role in a game? Uh, it's not actually the strikers. <laughs> <laughs> it was the inverted wing back. Yeah, um, I thought that was a really good addition. There was a point I think where it was slightly overpowered. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it didn't. Work, it didn't work for a while, did it? For, well. a while, could... for a while, it did nothing, and then they yeah. then they corrected it the other way. And they were getting into the positions, but they seemed to get any time they were in and around the box. It's just goal, yeah. bang, bang. I was like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> but I do like that addition because it allowed me to play differently. So a, a, another Leipzig one, I went, okay, so I can actually play one holding midfielder, two centre backs, in, in inverted wing backs, wide players, and two strikers or one striker and two attacking midfielders and get the sort of the action that I wanted. I played around with that and I think I ended up with with two forwards and, and it was well balanced. But that's where the game the game sort of changed last year and four four two became brilliant. Yeah. Be- definitely. Because you could do different things. It was four four two but it wasn't four four two. It wasn't rigid with inverted wing, you're playing four four two. You've got inverted wing backs. You've got a four man midfield. Yeah. So that that was one that I really I really liked. Um, Mazzala was is good. 
do love a goal scoring midfielder. So basically, any way that I can get as many goals as possible out of my team. <laughs> I, that's everyone's objective, really, isn't it? <laughs> I'm not that bothered about defending. I'd rather win the game 5-3 than 2-0. 2-0's a bit boring. You've, um, you mentioned a couple of times that you play with Lonesley. Have you considered playing with um, Salzburg and having Huller before he leaves? No, I just buy him. Or if you get FM20? No, I just buy him. <laughs> just buy him. I think he was he was pretty to be fair even if him 19 he was pretty much a wonder kid but obviously he looks a little bit better now um, yeah. I I had him I think I bought him for Leipzig and he had a 40 goal season yeah Gosh. he's different for class, me so and that was on 19 um, yeah. I mean him and Werner up front was pretty lethal yeah I think it was this time last year, really. I think I, I don't know if it was you I messaged down. I just I think I put in my Slack channel basically, like, who is this kid? Because he was already a monster then, um, and he just came out of nowhere, isn't he? Um, Everyone, everyone's like, didn't you watch football? Well, he scored. It was the yeah. summer. He scored. He scored nine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, in the summer. Didn't in he? that game, and yeah. and that was it. It's like, oh, who's this? Yeah, and well, off he's gone. Uh, there, there are people who think that it might be a bit of a. It might not translate when he moves, but I think it depends where he goes. I can see. I can't. If he goes to the Premier League, then he might have some problems initially. <clears throat> if he goes to the Bundesliga, he's going to score a bucket load, and that's I expect where he'll go. Yeah. Uh, okay, Dan. Uh, I think that's it. Yeah, we've done. We've done the pod. I thought it was a really, really interesting discussion. Yeah, I really enjoyed that. So we're on to the outro. Um, I don't know if, it, Peter, if you want to just plug your, your book that you've written recently. It's out now. It is out now. It was released on December the 3rd. Um, it is the sequel to my first coaching book, which is called Develop, Developing Skill, A Guide to 3v3 Soccer Coaching. And the sequel is Developing Skill 2, A Guide to 3v3 Soccer <laughs> Coaching. I wanted to call it Volume 2. I had visions like... Of, um, of a movie franchise um, <laughs> my, the publishers didn't quite agree with that and went just call it developing skill 2 the volume 2 is a bit much okay fine okay fine. Well, who's going to play who's going to play you in the movie then uh, I don't know I, I haven't I didn't I didn't get that far the publishers <laughs> I think it may be someone like Bruce Willis the publishers maybe. cut me off uh, no it have to be someone shorter and rounder I think <laughs> Well, maybe Dan and I can be cameos in that movie as well. Well, it is. We've, we, we've it, always wanted a movie career. It is three v three, so I do need two teammates. There we go. Dan's in goal. <laughs> <laughs> um, Dan, I suppose we should really plug our content um, that we've done this week. We've released two blogs, didn't we? Yeah, we both released a blog post on Saturday, didn't we? I think we did. Yeah, we, no, did, we, did, we didn't coordinate intended. that. No, we didn't coordinate that at all. But it just happened. Um, so do check those out. Obviously, Dan's. Savers are getting better and better. Thank you. Um, yeah. Tony's, Tony's getting worse and worse. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and is there anything else we need to plug or anything, Dan? No, no, just um, check Peter out. Um, what's Peter's at on Twitter? Uh, my my at is very complex. It's at Peter Prickett. Okay. There you go. It's okay. nice, and, nice and easy. Um, Lots of um, content on there now. At the moment, if you're going to follow me, be prepared for lots of tweets about the book because basically I am the only marketing department that I have. So yeah. uh, if <laughs> I, in order to sell anything, I've got to 
risk annoying people, but it's a it's a risk I'm willing to take. And Dan, I think well, perhaps we should give Peter uh, one of our Friday followers. Obviously, we, yeah, we're such definitely. a huge account, Peter, so be ready for the influx <laughs> of followers. Um, we're guaranteed to get you three new followers. Yeah. <laughs> if all three buy a book, I'll be delighted. Excellent. Yeah. So go and buy the book, everyone, and then you and, and, then, uh, and then find two mates, and then you can play some free v free. Well, they'd, they'd need to find five mates, wouldn't they? Uh, that's a good point. Yeah. Mass is my strong point. Yeah. Uh, so if you've um, got, if you have five mates. <laughs> No one less listens has five mates. <laughs> well, uh, Peter, thank you very much for taking time of your day to come on and chat to us. And um, I really enjoyed the discussion. And it's good to have um, the opinion of someone who's actually a coach in the way you do things on how it actually replicates in FM. No, thanks, and have a thanks for having me. Um, oh, it's been pleasure. interesting. Yeah. Okay, guys. Um, see you later. Bye. <laughs>